0: This is an Ocean Mike episode of the Spaceship Earth podcast in collaboration with Finisterre. Paul, oh, welcome to this Ocean Mike episode of the Spaceship Earth podcast, bonus edition. So listen, what we were going to focus in on the um, the rights of nature and the rights of a river just purely to give listeners a really kind of um, focused view of, of what that work is all about. Um, so I wonder on that, could you talk a little bit about the rights for nature? What's it all about? What's happening? I know there's a lot going on, but maybe paint a picture for folks to understand what this is all about.
1: I think sometimes people think of rights of nature as as one intervention, as one thing, Um, for instance, getting the law of ecocide or um, getting rights for a specific river. But actually, in many ways, it's a whole uh, package of the way that our law and therefore, by extension, our politics and our economics relates to nature in the natural world. Because we've been living in a system for the last, say, 300 years, and especially uh, in in the UK, where nature is basically, doesn't have legal rights as regarded as a dead thing, as a thing to be owned or extracted or used. Um, and the Rights of Nature movement is really about changing that. And as, as a good example, it's quite hard to imagine what we mean by um, the rights of nature and how how... Um, nature could have legal standing, legal personhood, that kind of thing. Um, we already grant rights and legal standing and legal personhood to non-humans. So for instance, charities have uh, legal standing in their own right. You can, they can sue and be sued. They can own property, that kind of thing. And more importantly, companies, um, we, we don't often think about um, the way that companies have uh, legal personhood and legal standing. Because it's become so ubiquitous, but it's actually really weird when you think about it. We've given these entirely fictional entities legal standing and the power to, to bring legal cases, to sue, be sued, hold property, have employees, all these kinds of things, and yet they don't even exist. And they're, they're, they're a purely fictional thing that humans have made up. And I think it's a real testament to the intelligence of lawyers That we managed to give legal rights in personhood to entirely fictional entities like companies before we gave them to um, trees and rivers, mountains and wildlife, things which actually exist and which we depend on for our own existence as well.
0: So, yeah, God, it's... That, that, there's that's, quite a that, lot to
1: unpick there, wasn't there? <laughs> <laughs>
0: that, that opens it right up, doesn't it? So just, what,
1: just, what I'm asking you to do is basically just, just completely rechange your idea of uh, the way the world should exist and what should have legal rights.
0: <laughs> it feels like there's there's been quite a lot of, of happen- happening all over the world, actually, in the rights for nature. I get a sense that there's projects and people and lawyers. Um, it feels like there's a kind of almost... Could you say there's a field of change that's that's building yeah. around this work? Yeah, the, the, there's, there's a real
1: energy building behind it. Um, the first time that the rights of nature was really thought about in Western legal systems was in 1972 in an essay called Should Trees Have Standing? And for the next kind of 30 years, it was a kind of academic interest, but not really one that was regarded as having much practical um practical application and then since around the turn of the millennium there's just been an ever increasing number of rights of nature interventions. some some more effective than others um, ranging from uh, constitutional interventions so um, Bolivia putting the rights of Pachamama in its constitution and Ecuador also putting rights of nature in its constitution um, to legislative interventions like the Whanganui River in New Zealand being given self-ownership and a guardianship body and, and legal rights um, and other legal cases around the world um, where rights of nature have been argued um, to try and stop environmental destruction. Um, the one in Ecuador was particularly interesting because that actually has had a practical impact. Last year, um, the constitutional provision was used to stop uh, oil drilling in the Los Cedros case so that was actually an example where it wasn't just put into the law but had a real practical impact as well so it's, it's definitely having a, a, it's definitely got energy behind it and it's happening more and more around the world which is great um, the key question of course is when you come to a country like the UK where we've been separated from nature for so long that politically it feels very difficult to get a legislative rights of nature intervention you know we we, we can barely pass well we, we can't even seemingly pass laws to stop water companies filling our river with shit so how are we yeah. going to get them to pass a law saying that that river should have rights you know it feels it feels like yeah. a big leap
0: <laughs> yeah yeah but so that's i mean yeah it's fascinating isn't it so what so what um so on that because there's two things that are coming up for me one is like um, from the projects that are already existing how does the i guess when you've got a you know a big corporation trying to come into to say a river and, and drill it's more it's clearer how the rights of that river would be responded to but how would it play out in more sort of day-to-day things do you know what i mean like um who who is that you know who who sort of becomes the voice if you like that can actually represent the you know that 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 natural environment that's that's at risk
1: yeah it's a really interesting question and actually it's one that an answer hasn't been given yet this this is the fascinating thing about rights of nature we're effectively recreating a whole worldview and legal system at multiple levels to deal with nature or or to rather to bring nature into the human legal system and make sure that its voice and interest is represented within that system. And that is the work of a a lifetime, probably more than a lifetime. As I say, it's not, not one single intervention. And as Mm -hmm. as an example of this, it, it needs to happen at all different levels, because for you as a human, your rights aren't just protected in one thing, they're protected at, at multiple different levels. So for instance, your your right not to be um, killed along with your ethnic group is protected at international level by the crime of genocide, right? And that in rights of nature terms would be represented by the law of ecocide, which is a current campaign to to change the international law to include ecocide. But an ecocide law wouldn't stop um, uh, destruction of just a a specific woodland or one river probably in the same way that um, the law of genocide doesn't stop one human being murdered you know, because that your, your right to life then is protected um, at uh, a national level by the crime of murder. But also, if you think about it, your right to life, the most sacrosanct human right that we have, is also in many respects, not protected. And that's why law is a constant process of, of politics and campaigning to, to uh, ensure that your rights are protected. For instance, although, uh, if I locked you in a room, and filled that, room with car exhaust fumes and and poisoned you to death, I would be guilty of the crime of murder. Um, If you're one of the tens of thousands of people who die every year through air pollution, uh, not only would I as a car driver not be uh, liable for your death, but the police would actively facilitate me to help commit your death, to to, to cause your death by stopping anyone who tried to block me driving my, my vehicle into a city and thereby Mm. causing your death through air pollution. So the the answer is it's quite it's quite complex and we are. Is, this, is it? Uh, yeah. Sorry, go. Ahead.
0: No, is it? I was just thinking when our in our you know our longer form conversation is this is this a similar is this the causation piece again?
1: Yeah, it goes it goes back to that, and mm. it, it it shows the levels at which we will actually need to institute laws and frameworks to protect nature. Um, to me, I think one of the most interesting starting points is to bring about guardianship and legal standing for nature because although that doesn't actually change the legal position it doesn't actually change the legal rights as such it at least allows nature's voice to be heard within that legal framework if that makes sense
0: so like a community creates a guardianship around you know a a place or a some kind of uh natural environment is that what you're speaking to there is that the, yeah, the mean, we, is, yeah
1: yeah we we can go to the wanganui river as an example of this so actually so the wanganui river was by statute given self-ownership legal standing and a guardianship body to look after it but the actual laws governing the wanganui river weren't weren't instantly changed so for instance they, it, it, a law wasn't passed they could never abstract water from it or humans couldn't use it at all It just meant that there was a guardianship body and the the river would have standing to bring a case to say, actually, this water abstraction is wrong because it's violating this law, which is causing this problem. Do you see what I mean?
0: Yeah, got it. And
1: at at the moment, we have lots of laws, even relating to nature, which just, just aren't upheld or enforced. And actually, if our rivers had proper guardianship bodies and could bring legal cases in the names of the river, it would instantly make... A massive difference, even within the current legal framework, because, for instance, um, Thames Water on the on the River roading have repeatedly put sewage into the river, which is just is just a criminal offence. They've admitted it's illegal, but they can basically carry on doing it, doing it with impunity because the person, the, the group that's supposed to, the body that's supposed to deal with that matter, the Environment Agency, just doesn't care or doesn't have the resources to deal with it. Whereas, if the River Roding had a guardianship body and guardians looking after it, who could bring legal cases, they they would have won those cases because the law says those sewage bills are illegal, and therefore they would be able to bring those cases to try and stop Thames Water doing it. And there are there are specific changes that you could do almost instantaneously that would actually start flipping the law, the laws we currently have. So actually making them enforceable. So as an example, something that I've been advocating for is what what I call environmental bounty hunting. So just saying, okay, we don't change any of the laws, but we say that um, anyone or or, a guardianship body can bring a claim in favour of the river. And if the water company is found to have um, committed a crime under the current laws, then the fine that they would get for that instead of going off to the treasury as it currently does into the general government budget goes directly back onto the river and can help fund the work of that guardianship body it would become self-funding and just just with the fines for the crimes that Thames water have committed on the roading in the last 5 years it could fund a team of probably 10 to 20 people acting in favor of the river's interests And and, and going after other people who are also infringing the rights of the river. So people who are fly-tipping into the river, just doing investigations of them, bringing in prosecutions against them, the fine going back into the river. So even with the laws as they currently are, changing no laws whatsoever, just shifting the way that that the uh, the river acts, is allowed to act within the legal system, giving it a guardianship body and letting that guardianship body act on its behalf could have massive impacts in the here and
0: now. We live on a life-giving rock called Earth, hurtling through space. How bonkers is that? You're listening to the Spaceship Earth podcast, Ocean Mike episode with Finisterre. Wow. And so <laughs> <laughs> So 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 two things and we can answer these two. So one thing I would I'd love to you to do if you could is to think, thinking of the rights of nature and thinking of the river roading to which you are guardian and imagining now the rights of a river and the rights of a river roading, Could you maybe sort of, you know, speak a little bit to what that might look like in the future? It's actually almost slightly
1: hard to fully imagine in, from the current viewpoint what the full rights of nature would look like in a system in which we properly respect and look after nature, because our system is so broken. And actually, in some ways, maybe rights of nature might not even be the fully correct, the the dream end point, because they, in their own way, have problems as well. But starting off, we may not be able to fully know what the rights of nature are, but we do know what the wrongs of nature are. Hmm. We do know already, right here and now, what the rivers don't want or need, and what they shouldn't have. So, there is a uh, International Rights of Rivers Declaration, which is a kind of form document, which is quite interesting. If people want to look it up, that gives kind of a, a different set of the different rights. Um, the right to to flow. Um, so that would be um, not having unnecessary obstacles. So. Again, I I imagine there's there's a guardianship body for the roading that is funded by the fines from environmental criminals like Thames Water, Um, and um, and they're able to go and enforce this kind of thing. So that guardianship body could do a full survey of the river roading, and find out all the different weirs and obstacles that exist along the river, and then they could say, well, actually. All of these barriers here don't serve any purpose whatsoever. They were put in 100 years ago for a mill that no longer exists. They need to be taken out and the law would probably agree because there's no need for those barriers to be there. They're just just causing a problem. And for those barriers that, for whatever reason, do need to be there, that guardianship body could then take some of the River Roding's trust money that it got from fines from the environmental criminals like Thames Water and say, OK, well, we're going to put um, some of the the River Roding's trust money into making a uh, fish and eel pass. So at least even though this barrier has to exist, it can be it can be broken through. And, you know, this kind of stuff is, is not even that uh, pie in the sky. I've already done things like this. So I was walking along the roading and there was a tributary of the roading called the Aldersbrook. And it's got a flood barrier there, a concrete flood barrier that truncates the river. It's quite ugly and truncates the river and stops the tide flowing about another mile and a half, which would create a a natural intertidal zone, which is really good habitat. So it's blocking a natural process of the river. And I investigated it and spoke to the Environment Agency, and they were like, yeah, actually, it's not really serving any purpose. It's put in the 1930s, and it's now um, not serving any purpose. because There's a different flood barrier elsewhere, and actually it could be removed. But the point is, no one had ever even bothered to question it, because no one is doing that task of saying, actually, what are the different rights and interests here? And so it's it's not even a case where we're having to argue against uh, the river's rights to naturally flow versus people's rights, not to have their houses flooded there. It was just a completely, it was a barrier that just, you know, didn't, shouldn't exist and a proper guardianship body could do that across the entire river and across all of our rivers to make sure that, you know, the river has a right to flow wherever it can with that right, obviously being balanced against human needs as well. One example, another example is the right not to be um, polluted with rubbish. Um, And again, there's lots of different things that a a guardianship body could do there from organising direct uh, litter picks like we're already doing on the roading, but also to um, maybe bringing legal challenges against packaging producers saying, well, actually you're producing this packaging, but you've got no plan as to to how you're going to stop it ending up in the environment. And here is all of your packaging that we've collected out of our river. Please tell me what your plan is to stop this happening in the future. And sewage, you know, again, acting on the same the laws that all currently exist. We don't even know all the outfalls that exist on the roading. We've got no idea. No one has even mapped the ball, which is shocking. So a guardianship body could properly map all of the outfalls, work out where they're coming from and monitor them. A number of illegal sewage bills on the roading, the only reason that anyone even knew they were happening is because I happened to be walking past in my spare time. To monitor them. And there should be someone from a paid guardianship body walking the river every week, all of it, to make sure that everything is in order and there aren't these illegal spills going on. And if there are, to take immediate action to stop them and to ensure that those who are guilty of a crime by doing that illegal overspill are punished. I could go on all day, but I'm not sure how much your (laughs) listeners want to go into the details. But I I think you can start to see the pattern there of what a difference that kind of guardianship body. Acting in the interest of the river could make, and that is in the here and now. That is not waiting for some utopian
0: future, you know. Yeah, no, it's it's fascinating. And it, but just uh, again, just because I know we, we we haven't got long on this one, but I just thought um, there was a couple of things that came up as you were speaking. One was like, um, you know, obviously those are the those are the sort of immediate, you know, the sort of important, urgent, and actionable things, as you say, that you're kind of already doing that could could be put in place. What about like? sort of other other life within the river how does that play out in in this work like because again you know obviously like everything right a river is a complex ecosystem that's made up of all kinds of other species and uh, and and how in your in the work you're doing on the rights of nature and and, and the work that's going on is that is it is and I, I guess you know this is why it's so complex but is that featuring as well
1: yeah. Um, both, both again in the here and now, but also in the kind of, uh, more imaginative realm. So an example i like to give is what, uh, the little tale of the barking sand martins, um, which, uh, I don't know if you know about sand martins. They're, no, they're really Alice, cool birds. Us. No, so they're, they're really amazing birds. They, um, uh, they spend the winter in sub-Saharan Africa, And then they fly over to the, to Europe and to the UK, and then they nest in sandy cliffs. Um, but other than nesting, they spend most of their time on the wing. They just fly around all the time and they're amazing to watch. They have a very beautiful acrobatic flight. Um, that's sort of a a free acrobatic show provided by nature, you know, and, um, a few years ago, I, I noticed these strange birds on the roading and I just started observing them and try to work out what they were and I'm, I'm no ornithologist, but eventually after some, I, I noticed them sort of flying into a wall. I was like, why, where, what are they doing? It's like bashing into a wall on the river, like a solid concrete river wall. And so I went to view it from a different angle and they weren't actually bashing into the wall. They were, go- they were flying into concrete drainage pipes. Um, and so from that and a bit more identification, I realized they were sand Martins, um. And they basically fly from sub-Saharan Africa to nest in a concrete river wall uh, next to a Wix car park opposite a BP garage and uh, within like you know right next to a giant thundering main road and Tesco Express in the center of barking, which I just, <laughs> this is just wow. I just find the contrast yeah. contrast really, really kind of beautiful yeah. and intense at the same time. Yeah. Um, but the key thing is no, no one had even realized those San Martins were there. No one had known. And then um, we found out from um, the River Raging Trust landlord, the Crown Estate, that um, a property developer wanted to uh, rebuild the river wall there. And had we not known about the Sand Martins, they would have just rebuilt that and either destroyed, killed the birds or destroyed the colony the nesting colony by making it a solid concrete wall. And so when we then negotiated with the developer, we said, look, it's fine for you to do your wall, but you need to do it outside of nesting season and make sure all the existing nesting holes are reinstated and ideally provide a few more for them. And actually they said, yeah, that's fine. And that's, I think this like beautiful example of guardianship, yeah. it's just no- yeah. knowledge of knowledge of the natural world that is there and then just acting in its interests. And a lot of the time that can be done perfectly easily without compromising human interests. It's just about having that, nature's voice is voice represented in it, you know? yeah. And so to go, a go to a more imaginative thing. dreaming world, you know, it's just like in the future, when they, when they build a riverside development, just soften the river walls and, or provide nesting holes for kingfishers and sand Martins mm-hmm. and, um, make sure that there are, uh, marginal aquatic trees like, uh, willow and Aspen and alder planted there rather than just having a concrete or metal wall that goes you know into deep water and plonking your flats next to it
0: yeah it's beautiful it's just it just again it's this whole thing isn't it if we if we begin to see the natural world as our family if we begin to consider everything that is more than human is part of our wider extended family then it allows us to think well how how can we um speak to integrate And connect with this wider family when we're thinking about our sort of human-centered development. It's actually just a shift, right? Once you have that shift, once you have that awareness, then it becomes a beautiful, creative invitation.
1: Exactly. It's so, like, I love those little guys so much. Those little San Martins. <laughs> like, honestly, yeah. I spend most of March just like in like a, like, um, like a kid waiting for Christmas, waiting for them to return. And I can't describe how it makes my heart jump when I see the first one of the season and know they've returned and come back. And to me, um, so as well as doing the developing, I also went down this year and, um, put a ladder into the water and cleaned out all their nesting holes for them. And it was just such an act of service, you know, it it didn't feel like a task. It was like such a joyful act of service. I was so happy to do it because I just, I'm looking forward to seeing them again so much. Yeah, And that's, that's, that's how things change when you see yourself as, as you say, as part of the kind of family of nature and as part, and it's human guardian rather than as, as separate from it.
0: Beautiful. Listen, Paul, because uh, we'll we'll end up doing another episode here. I know you've got to run as <laughs> yeah, well. Um, we've <laughs> gone way
1: over time already. <laughs> I know, but just,
0: just just to just to finish off, if folks are interested in rights of nature work, um, what you know, what what can they do? How can they help? Or is there ways that you know people can support this this work that you're and I, I know many other lawyers are involved in? But what what what's 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 needed to help keep putting momentum around this work?
1: yeah i mean it's it's that's a really good question it's about it could do with support at all different levels so it's about what really speaks to you. So for instance, if, if if being involved in campaigning on the international level for a change in international law via treaty is your thing, then, you know, get involved in the ecosystem campaign. They they desperately need people. For some people, you know, that's a bit too far off and they want to act on a local level. And then it depends, you know, do you, what really speaks to you? Is it is it your local birds? Is it your river? Is it your trees? And if it's your trees, set up a local network of, of tree guardians who will check that the local trees are all protected with tree, tree preservation orders. We'll check local planning permissions to make sure there's no sneaky tree felling going on there. And we'll, if necessary, organize protests if, if local trees are threatened. That's um, what has happened. There's been a lot of tree felling in the news this week in the UK. Um, and that is what has really made the difference on the ground is local tree campaign. If, if it's water and rivers that speak to you, then as I think I said in the previous podcast, get, get to know your river. You live in a river catchment you somewhere, you, you, you will definitely be in the river catchment, get to know your river and find out what its issues are and start to act as its guardian. Um, and whether you're legally qualified or whether you're a qualified ecologist, there will be things you can do. And um, that journey of, of learning what your river wants and needs and how best you can act in service to it is a, is a beautiful one. And one that I found, I think, amongst the most, or probably the most fulfilling journey of my life, actually. Which
0: is, of course, London, Way. Of course. Listen, Paul, mate, thank you so much for this and all your work, and we'll be in touch. Um, go well and uh, look after yourself as well. I know you're looking after a lot of trees and rivers all the time, but make sure you look after yourself. Yeah, I would do. Thank you very much. Nice to speak to you. Speak to you
1: soon. If you've appreciated listening to this podcast, Would you consider sharing it with a friend or leaving us a rating or review via your podcast provider? It helps more people to find us and we'd be most grateful. This podcast is created in service to life for you. It takes time, funds and energy to make. If you'd like to contribute to the running course, you can donate the price of a cuppa or a pint. Find the link on our website. This podcast wouldn't exist without the following crew. Charlie Shred, Audio Jedi Seaman Home Burgess Engine Room Willow Burgess Jingles